We're going to talk about Jesus and his victory. So the first thing we want to talk about is children's ministry in regards to having victory in the name of Jesus in the lives of our children. I don't know about you. I don't, I don't come here and I don't gather here to build some kind of American nonprofit organization. I'm not seeking for social justice, social change, just all that kinds of side stuff that can be extremely important. I gather here in the name of Jesus Christ. I am part of the body of Christ, which means that I have been called out of the culture. You are part of the body of Christ. You have been called out of the culture, and the Lord has led you to meet and to fellowship and to encourage and strengthen your brothers and sisters here this morning. And as often as we gather together, we focus on Jesus and Jesus alone, his body, our God becoming man, his sacrifice, his death for our sins, his resurrection, his life. He is alive today and seated at the right hand of God, and we live through his life today and his life alone. And as we seek him, we sit in the apostles' doctrine, what they taught about him. We sit in prayer together. We sit in worship together. But we sit in this constant heart, mind, and attitude of submission and sacrifice to one another in the victory of Jesus Christ, right? Jesus provided victory. He prevailed. And this is what we're going to sit in Revelation today. In Revelation chapter 5, John has a vision of heaven. And he was weeping in the midst of that vision. Why? Because nobody, not in heaven, not on earth or under the earth, was found worthy to open this scroll, this document, this document of judgment that we've been studying as we go through Revelation, except who? The Lamb, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus. It says he prevailed. He had victory. His sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection from the grave is what caused him to be worthy to open this document. And it's through his victory that we have life. It's through his victory that we have freedom from sin that we just sang about, that we have freedom from death, that we have freedom from our self-will and freedom from an old hard heart and a stiff neck. And we abide and rejoice in him today in his victory. Jesus's victory required, it demanded the greatest sacrifice in history. And that was the sacrifice of the Son of God. Victory in your life as you follow Jesus demands sacrifice. He demands of each one of us, if you want to follow Jesus, you must what? You must die to yourself. You must take up your cross daily. And you must follow him. That's, it's a sacrificial relationship that we have with him. He sacrificed himself for us. And he gave us the example that we are all to follow. Many of us, all of us, we sacrifice in a variety of different ways. Every human relationship that you have demands sacrifice. If you are a child, you sacrifice on behalf of the will and the needs of your parents. If you are a spouse, you make many sacrifices daily for your relationship with your spouse. If you are a parent, 
You sacrifice yourself daily to see Christ formed in your children. If you're an employee, you sacrifice yourself daily to perform your job functions. If you are part of the body of Christ, we meet together in the name of Jesus in submission to one another so that for the singular purpose that Jesus would be formed in each one of us, that day in and day out, week in and week out, month by month, that Jesus would be formed in each one of us and that we would all grow into maturity, into his perfect image. And on the day that we see him, we're presenting one another to Christ as chaste virgins is the description that we're given. And that, really, that begins through what I'm doing right now and, and what I believe that the Lord has led my life to in, in teaching the word of God and the position that he's placed me in. It's, it's, a, it's an act of sacrifice. It's an act of worship. But to enable what we do in here, you know, this morning, this is, this is the 1st of August. Kids are going back to school this week. This is the weekend that we used as a target date to have all of our children's ministry classes back going so that I'm not putting your children to sleep in this room and that they're back there having Jesus revealed to them and instructed to them in a way that they can know and they, they can understand in a way that they will make their own choice in the future to bend their knee to Jesus and not just have the faith of mommy and daddy, but that Christ would be formed in them as they grow and mature. We need four more servants to serve one time a month back in those classes. The last person in fact, the only person that I asked to do this directly face-to-face, -face, I haven't seen him at church since then. That's the risk of giving an ask and asking somebody to do something in the name of Jesus. It's weird. The Lord has formed in me a heart of service. And I rebel against that every single day. In the sense of the, the more intimate my relationship becomes with Jesus over time, it seems like the more that he demands of me to let go of and to sacrifice. Does that make sense? You all feel that? I know that it's a sacrificial thing for you to be here this morning. The worship team is a huge offering of sacrifice. They practice at home. They put all these songs together prayerfully. They arrange them. They come here on Thursday nights to rehearse. They're here an hour early this morning to rehearse, and they're here not to perform for us, but to lead us as brothers and sisters into the throne room of God so that we can worship God in joy, so that you can seek God for the help that you need, so that you can pour out your heart, mind, and tears and worship of him. Amen? It's an act of sacrifice. That same sacrifice is needed back there with the kids. How many of you like serving children? How many of you, it makes you cringe? <laughs> it's not easy. I'm asking you to sacrifice yourself in the name of Jesus on behalf of your brothers and sisters and go stand in that gap once a month and serve those kids. Not so that we can do our church thing, but so that Jesus can be formed in those children. My daughter's 20, my sons are 18. It's taken years of sacrifice to watch Jesus form himself in them. 
serving back in children's ministry is the same long-term vision. It's not one weekend. It's years. And it comes at a cost. But when have you ever given up anything in obedience to God where he has not overly, abundantly supplied more than what you let go of? Never. God is not a debtor to me. He always overabundantly blesses me. And again, I want you to sit in this prayerfully. Ask God, where would he have you serve your brothers and sisters? If this is your home church, you've been called out of this world, and this is your family in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you to sacrificially pray, and I'm asking you to sacrificially serve one another where the Lord has led you to serve. And that gets into Lincoln, too, with the youth group. I praise God that he has brought Lincoln to our congregation. So Lincoln came here last November. Today, there are eight kids today. There's at least eight teenagers going to be baptized in the Garrett's pool this afternoon. Praise God. Amen? How many of you guys remember your baptism? I was sitting about where Veronica was in the Assemblies of God Church in Salt Lake City. About 10 people had signed up for baptism. Assemblies of God, if you know, they, they like to worship. They worship loud and long. So the worship's going. I'm sitting in the back. I'm afraid. I, I do not like attention. I do not like doing this. I don't like you looking at me. I hate making mistakes. Um, that fear of man is, is something that the Lord has had to overcome in me. And just hearing the Spirit speak to me to go up. It was a baptism like this underneath the stairs. By the time I got up there, I'm like the 20th person. I'm the last one. The water's dirty. I'm in my street clothes in April in Salt Lake City, Utah. It's freezing outside. Baggy jeans. Still wearing earrings. Responding to the spirit of the Lord in my life. I didn't have any bells and whistles. I didn't have any Holy Spirit goosebumps. The heavens did not part and the spirit of God descended upon me. I had none of that vision. My life was radically changed that day. Why? Because I did what God told me to do. Baptism. The first act of obedience of a believer who bends their knee in faith that Jesus is my Lord. Your first act of obedience is to be immersed into his death, buried with him, risen again in new life. That's what baptism means. It's this immersion into his life, his character. God will always reward you Always he will reward you in your obedience to him. So I praise God for just, a, you know, just for the heart of Lincoln. For me to be able to leave here and not have to worry, not have to stress, not have to call. Gee, I wonder if Lincoln's going to go start a new church on his own. And just, you know, just that kind of, like, people have to worry about those kinds of things. To know that he is aimed at the Lord, to know that he sits in the word, to know that he can faithfully teach the word of God, to know that he is anointed by the Holy Spirit. 
to have this room filled with teenagers Sunday after Sunday that are turning away from the world and that are turning to Jesus as he disciples them, praise God. For all the kids who are going to be baptized, immersed into the name of Jesus today as an act of obedience, you pray for them. You disciple them. You love them. You encourage them. And you watch what God's going to do in their life. Because today, August 1st, 2021, is a game changer for them. And the last, just kind of update you on for Kenya. Going to Kenya is because of a relationship. It's because of Meshach. How many of you know Meshach? And Beth and the kids love that man. The Lord brought him here for a season, sent him away. I get angry when God sends people away, especially people I like. People I don't like. <laughs> Meshach is a man who was raised with nothing, a mom who abandoned him, raised by a grandma who died, uh, I think, two or three years ago at the age of 108. Nothing growing up. The dad who loved the Lord, discipled in the Lord over time, finished college in Kenya, was sponsored to come to America to get his master's degree, was here in Georgia getting his PhD, is now a professor in California, college level. Rags to riches kind of story. But to watch this man invest in his family, is, it's, it's, it's humbling and it's uh, praiseworthy. It's just, it's just a fun thing to watch. And that's why we go is because of the relationship with Meshach. So his dad's a pastor, Pastor Michael. He's been here a couple of times. A lot of you have met him. Michael has a heart for Jesus and Jesus alone. He has a heart to teach God's word. It's now Calvary Chapel Bungoma, just in that like-minded fellowship that we have. And my, my thrust and focus of going, it comes out of the book of Acts that when Paul went back to those communities where the gospel was established, when he went back, he sought to strengthen the church in those communities. So I feel that like my call in that relationship as I go, it's, it's to, Lord, use me to strengthen the church there. So when I go, my focus is on the relationship with the pastors. The catalyst on this trip was, to, was because Meshach's brother was getting married. So the invitation was to go and officiate that wedding. How many of you have ever been to a non-American cultural celebration wedding? Here, how many, you know, here comes the bride in America. We have our standard music, and the father walks the bride down the aisle, and it's, it's all beautiful, and, but it's really calm. It's kind of sedate. They danced the bride in to the altar for an hour. I'm serious. You got my little Mzungu boys learning how to dance Kenyan style, and it started with the little kid, you know, the, the flower girls and the ring bearers, and then the... Uh, the groomsmen and the bridesmaids, they are dancing the bride in for an hour. The groom dances in with his best man. The bride is dancing in as they're all getting fanned in the heat. Wonderful relationships. It's cost you something to send me. It cost me something to go. It cost my sons something to go with us. 
It costs those uh, who were there to host us. We watched the body of Christ serve one another in celebrating the union of a man and woman in the name of Jesus. Watched the pastors sacrifice their time as they listened to me teach the entire book of Revelation for two days. God have mercy on their souls. We did it, we accomplished it, left them with resources to equip them, to strengthen them as pastors to go and continue to teach their congregations the word of God and not the traditions of men. Abel, just the the ministry that God gave uh, to my sons and I just in our relationship and hanging out with each other and, and going and seeing God's creation on a safari. This is my fourth time there. Um, I don't know if any, whoever's been on a safari, this was hands down the most incredible scene that I have just ever seen. To be able to go into these rolling hills and see thousands of animals that are, that are presenting to me a description of God's creativity and his glory and his majesty. You know, to, to be able to reach your hand out the window, if you so choose, chose, and touch a lion or a cheetah, just, just incredible experience. So there's those visual things, there's those, uh, the relationship with the Lord for sure, but it's like something as simple as the busboy at, at the hotel that we were staying in is a pastor of the Messiah. So here we are, a brother in Christ is serving us as a table waiter, which is what a deacon is. And just the, the, the conversations and the relationships. So this, this trip was really focused on, for me, strengthening those relationships. For my sons, exposing them to new relationships and exposing them to how a lot of the rest of the world lives. Um, but this is the one thing that really stands out to me as we, as we are going to turn to Revelation and just focus in on the victory that Jesus has provided to us is when uh, Emmanuel and his bride came back from their honeymoon. Her name's Mary Goretti. I was giving her a hug, you know, welcoming them back to the family compound kind of thing, and just, just expressing to her uh, my love for the Samadhi family, um, my observance of, of how they love each other and how they serve one another. Um, so I was encouraging her as the new bride, because in this culture, again, she just left her father and mother, she just left her family, and she is now part of a new family. So it's not the whole Bible, leave and cleave, where both husband and wife are leaving father and mother. She has left her family, and the protection of her family, her father, her mother, her siblings, her uncles, that, that kind of cultural relationship. And she has now been brought into a new family, the Samadhi family. And as I'm expressing to her the... Uh, the wonders of the family that she has just become a part of, the words that came out of her mouth, she said, I'm glad that this is a safe place. And that just, that just struck me. She just chose to the exclusion of all of their men, a groom, as husband, and not only did she choose a man, but she, she had to place her trust in the Lord that he was bringing into her into a safe relationship, a victorious relationship in Jesus. And again, I, I just kind of, I sat back in those words, and it's something that I've been meditating on ever since, of just asking myself that, like, am I a safe person? Am I safe to my bride? Am I safe to my children? 
Am I safe to you? You know, that only, the, me having that kind of character only comes through the victory of Christ in my life. And it only, the victory of Christ in my life only comes through my choice to submit myself to Christ every day. And I ask that same thing of you. Are you safe? Are you safe to your spouse? Are you safe to your kids? Are you safe to this congregation? Are you safe to the culture? If there's an emergency, is, is, is somebody safe in coming to you? Are you the safe person to go to with private information that you're not going to gossip? Are you safe for somebody to come to you and ask about the wonders of God and the wonders of the gospel? Are you safe to diligently teach what's in this and not your own opinions and man's ways? Is your love safe? Is your kindness safe? Is your service safe? And I, again, I'm asking myself all of these questions. And ultimately, the fulfillment of that safety, it only comes through the victory that Jesus has provided us. So now, turn to Revelation chapter 14, where we are in Revelation, just to run into it, in chapter 11. Verse 15, you have the sounding of the seventh trumpet where the kingdoms of this world that we see today and all of their dysfunction and all of their wickedness and all of the ways of man that we see in the kingdoms of the world today, at the sounding of the seventh trumpet, the authority that those kingdoms have are stripped away and all the kingdoms of the world have become the singular kingdom of God where Jesus is going to rule. That's this announcement of the seventh trumpet in chapter 11. And then in chapters 12 and 13, we have a vision of uh, this sign that John sees. And there's seven specific signs. Today we're going to deal with the third one. But the first one is this, this sign of the nation of Israel, which Israel, you don't keep Israel narrowed to Old Testament context. God chose a man, Abraham, and from that man, the reason why he chose Abraham is because Abraham would diligently teach his children justice and righteousness in the name of God, and through Abraham, he was going to bring the Messiah, and he did, through which all of the nations of the world are blessed through Jesus, the product of Abraham and the nation of Israel. But God chose this man out of the nations for Abraham to be governed by God. So that's what Israel is supposed to ultimately symbolize, where you have Jacob, who was a supplanter and a deceiver through his transition in his relationship with God, and ultimately that wrestling where he is confronted with God, God changes his name to Israel. He's now a prince of God. He is now governed by God. He was to be salt and light in the world, just like we are to be salt and light in this world and, and governed by God. So this vision of the nation of Israel, it's here's, here is the, the woman who is the nation of Israel, the child that is going to come is Jesus, and there is this conflict. There is this opposer to, 
to God himself and to all those who would seek to be obedient to God. And this second vision, this, this image of the dragon. We deal with the vision of Satan as the dragon and this revelation in regards to who the anti-Jesus is, who the anti-Christ is, who the false prophet is. So that's 12 and 13, all of this thick information. But in chapter 14, that we covered the last time I taught a few weeks ago, the, there's an immediate contrast provided. Like here is God's calling and appointing and provision for his nation, Israel. Here is the government system underneath Satan that stands in opposition to God's will. And now here is a vision of the true King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus himself, standing in Mount Zion, surrounded with the redeemed, specifically the 144,000 in this context as they're singing and all the imagery that's associated with that. But then you have this vision of Jesus, and then there is this angel who is proclaiming the everlasting gospel. This good news, it must be... And it's, it's always information about who Jesus is, what he did, what he is going to do. All of that information is wrapped up in this information of good news. It's something that's to be proclaimed. It's something that we are to believe in and hope in. It's something that we are to obey. It's something that we are to serve to others. It's something that we are to defend. This is something that we have a fellowship in. All revolves around this proclamation of this good news. And here in Revelation, it's this, the direct command of this angel to the world at this time is to fear God. Have reverence. Awe. Not just, not just this respect. But I, I ask God for myself and I pray for you at the same time. I pray that God leaves you astounded at his nature, his character, his words, his works, his ways every single day. God, let us fear you, to be in awe of you, to give him glory, to worship him, to allow all weight, all opinion, let it all be about him. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and the water. So here's this vision of Jesus as the king of kings in contrast to Satan's kingdom. Here is an angel proclaiming the gospel, which enables our entrance into his kingdom. Chapter 14, verse 8, another angel is announcing the fall of Babylon. We're going to get that specifically in 17 and 18. But again, this proclamation that Babylon, again, Satan's kingdom and all that it represents is going to fall. Third angel in verse 9 proclaims a warning in regards to anybody who chooses to submit to Satan's kingdom rather than Jesus' kingdom. And now in verse 12... There's this exhortation that says, here's the patience, here's your endurance, saint, you who believe in Jesus. Here's your, here's your endurance in your relationship with him. Here's your, your, your patience. Again, think how patient God has been with you. And we need to demonstrate that patience with him as we're seeking him for answers, as we're seeking for him to deal with evil in this world. And the exhortation is, here's those who keep the commandments of God and have faith in Jesus. Faith and works, hand in hand together, always. Verse 13, third blessing 
out of seven in the book of Revelation. Sorry, this is the second blessing. The first one's in chapter one in regards to reading and hearing and keeping the words of this prophecy. Here's the second one. It says, write. And I want you to sit in this in regards to this idea of victory. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Does that sound like victory to you? So often, the path of victory in our lives goes through this valley that we call the shadow of death. There's a death to self, there's a death to will. So often in this valley, it is filled with fog. You can't even see the end of your nose. You don't know what's coming around the corner. Sometimes in this darkness, this path to victory, it's through damaged relationships. It's through damaged health. It's through damaged finances where the circumstance that is going on in your world does not feel like conquest. It doesn't feel like hope. It doesn't feel like light. It feels like Jesus is asleep. It feels like Jesus doesn't care. The gospel, the good news, the word of God reveals to us that every single circumstance of your life as you follow Jesus as your savior, that is the path, the way and the road that God has ordained for you. How many of you have had overwhelming pain in your life, physically, emotionally, where your cry to God is, take this away from me. And he says, no. I'm going to walk with you through this. I'm going to form myself in you in this process. This is where your patience is. This is where your endurance is. Do you believe that Jesus is good? Do you believe that he's kind? Do you believe that he's gracious? Jesus, why do you allow all this evil to occur in this world? Why did you let that happen? Where were you? Where are you? He's right there leading you continually in the victory that he has provided. And this is what the joy of the Lord is my strength. I am weak. I am weak in my life's circumstances. I am weak in my knowledge. I am weak in my ability to communicate. I am weak in my ability to obey. I look within and I say, wretched man that I am, Jesus, where are you? I need to be transformed. I need the new mind. I need the new heart. I need the new words. I need to understand. I need you to tell me what to do. He keeps continually telling me, follow me. I will give you my victory that I have provided in the midst of all circumstances. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. They're favored. At this time... In future history, the dead that are being described here 
are those who refuse to worship Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the image, and who will have their heads cut off because of that rebellion to Satan. They are favored in their obedience and sacrifice to Jesus. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, that they may be refreshed and revived from their troubles and their toils. Your works will follow you. Your sacrifice in the name of Jesus is rewarded today and will be rewarded for all eternity in the victory that he has provided. Your works in the name of Jesus will follow you for eternity. Why? Because as he gives you gifts and you turn around and you give those gifts to others and you serve others in the name of Jesus, he is through you sharing the gospel. He is through you forming himself and others. Excuse me, just as you have been invested by other brothers and sisters in Christ for him to be formed in you, those works that people have invested in you, they were, are going to be rewarded. As you invested in others, your works in the name of Jesus will follow you to his glory for all eternity. Makes the sacrifice so worth it. And now we begin the verse that we're really supposed to cover today. We'll see how far we get. Verse 14. I looked. In fact, we'll just, I'll comment on this as we go through it rather than read it back up. So then I looked, John's vision here, 1414, and behold, a white cloud. Given this description of white, it's not a, it's not a cloud that is covering the glory of God. It is, it is reflecting bright Reflecting the glory of God on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man. This is Jesus. You sit in uh, Daniel chapter 7. Is this title where the Son of Man comes from? You go and read the Gospels. This is Jesus' favorite title that he labels himself with. The Son of Man identifying himself with humanity. God who is tabernacling in the flesh. The Son of Man you go sit in Ezekiel's prophecy. God refers to Ezekiel as the son of man probably like 50 times in Ezekiel. Here is Jesus. He has on his head a golden crown. And this is not the crown of authority. This is the crown of victory. We're sitting in the Olympics right now where people are putting forth all of this effort and energy where we haven't seen all the sacrifice of preparation as they are competing on a global stage to be rewarded with crowns of medals now. But back in the day, these used to be these, these laurel, these, these crowns of, of victory is, is the description that is given. Today is uh, uh, the, the fittest man and the fittest woman on earth shall be crowned according to CrossFit this afternoon and whoever wins that competition. So again, the, the, the focus that I want you to press into on this is we do not see for the most part the sacrifice that is necessary for us to be obedient to the will of God in our lives. When we look at athletes performing on any kind of stage, you don't see all of the hard work that they put into achieving whatever goals those they may be pursuing. It's the same thing in our relationship with God. Nobody sees your prayers. Nobody sees your study. And a lot of times, 
people don't even care. And we're not doing it on behalf of other people. All of our motivation, what we do in action, is to be a response to who Jesus Christ is. Faith in him, trusting in him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We were talking about that this morning. Jesus, I trust you. I'm going to follow you. I trust in your victory. I trust in the sacrifice that you made in your submission to your father. And as you submitted yourself to all of humanity and died for the sin, the gross criminal sins of every single human being, let your sacrifice be an example for the diligence that you're demanding of me today. And again, sit in, sit in the idea of this. Just um, Romans 12 talks about offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. That's the beginning of chapter 12. At the end of chapter 12, there's this one sentence that talks about, do not let evil have victory in your life, but overcome, have victory over evil by doing good. It's this, this, this exhortation of the victory that Jesus provides in our life is through our submission to him, it's through the power of his spirit in our lives, it's through him leading us and guiding us, but it demands you to offer yourself to him. It demands you to listen, it demands you to read, it demands you to respond. Show me your victory without your works. Show me. Show, show me your knowledge of God's word without reading it. Show me God responding to your prayers with you never talking to him and asking him and petitioning him. Don't be influenced and falsely motivated through the flesh and condemnation or any of that. that, that that's all, that's... That's junk, that's man stuff, that has nothing to do with what I'm communicating and it has no place in our hearts. My only desire for you is to know who your creator is. And through knowing him, we respond to him. Worship. Show me your love for God without pouring out your soul to him in worship. How many of you want to join Mary just with tears at Jesus' feet? Just thanking him. How many of you want to get up with Martha? Mary, get up. Let's, let's, come on, all these people need to eat. Martha's service still had to be done. And Martha shouldn't judge Mary as Mary chose the better place to sit at Jesus' feet. So, Lord, free me from a heart of judgment and place within me your heart of victory, your heart of service, your heart of submission, your heart of sacrifice, your heart of death to self, your heart of obedience to your Father, because that is why you are crowned with this golden crown. And in your hand, in his hand, is a sharp sickle. The sickle is a farming instrument used in the harvest. An angel is sent in verse 15, comes out of the temple. So this is from, this angel is carrying a message from the father, from the temple, from the place where God dwells, crying with a loud voice to him, to Jesus who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap. For the time 
has come for you to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And the idea of this word for ripe, it's a, when you let, this is dealing with a grain harvest in the minute it's going to have a, a harvest of vines. But when you look at wheat grow, it's green to begin with, right? So it's a green, the green grass comes up and the seeds are being produced. You don't harvest it when it's green. You harvest it when it begins to dry up and wither. And that's the description that's being given, <clears throat> excuse me, in regards to the harvest of the earth is ripe. It's dried up. It's overdue. It's time to harvest is the imagery. So he who sat on the crowd thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now, Jesus talks about in Matthew 9 in regards that we need to pray to him to send laborers into the harvest, to force out laborers from where they are, that you would be forced from where you are to go out and to labor in his harvest. The laborers are few. We are, this is something that we are to ask God for, is to send out laborers into the harvest because the harvest is plenty. At the same time, Jesus in, in the parable of the wheat and the tares talks about when the harvest comes in the future, that he is going to send angels. And when the angels come as reapers, they are going to first, they are going to bundle up the tares, the, the weeds, and they are going to be burned. And the wheat is going to be gathered into his barn, imagery in regards to believers and unbelievers. And the same imagery continues here in verse 17. Another angel comes out of the temple. He also having a sharp sickle, and another angel comes from the altar. So an angel is now coming with another sickle for a different harvest, or it may be the same harvest, we're not sure. Another angel is coming from the altar. This imagery is the altar of prayer before God. In one of the seal judgments, you had those who were martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ crying out to God, how long before you avenge our blood? This is seen as an answer to that prayer. God is sending out in response to these prayers. He has the authority over fire. He cries with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle saying, thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So again, first one, dealing with Jesus, this harvest of grain. Now this harvest of grapes. Verse 19, he thrusts in his sickle into the earth and gathers the vine of the earth and threw it into the great, great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs, which is equivalent to 200 miles. I've mentioned multiple times how depressing and horrific a lot of the imagery is in Revelation. Here we are told that God's wrath is, is not just his emotional state of wrath against all that's that is unholy, that stands in opposition to him. But the, the, the action of that wrath is heavy, it's eternal, it's tragic, it's, um, it's painful as we consider all those who would be subject to that judgment. 
And it's to motivate our prayers and our behaviors towards the lost, to encourage them to bend the knee to Jesus, to be free from that. Whether this blood is literally, can you imagine the carnage of the volume of the death of humanity for blood to rise up to five feet high in any valley, 200 miles long? Because of the gravity of that imagery, a lot of the commentators want to say, well, no, the blood is just spattered that high. The imagery is gross regardless. But the imagery is to provide us the horror of what rebellion to God looks like from his perspective and the eternal condition of the human soul who remains in rebellion and then the hope and the light and the wonder and the encouragement that comes through bending the knee to him. Because chapter 15, look at this. I see, John sees another sign, this third one. So the first one, Israel. The second one, that Satan standing in opposition to God and to Israel. Here's the third sign that John is seeing, great and marvelous. Seven angels having the seven last plagues, the last blows, the last strikes. For in them, the wrath of God is complete. We're pressing into that idea as we travel through 15 next week, but we're going to continue to look at victory this morning. So verse 2, I saw something like a sea of glass. So this is before God. The imagery comes out of the Old Testament. There's this sea which is filled with water. It is to reflect God's glory. Before the throne of God, John is seeing this sea of glass reflecting God's glory. It's mingled with fire. Fire is always a symbol and image for judgment. Those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, over the mark, over the number of his name, are standing on the sea of glass, and they have harps of God. Now, specifically, the context is those who are martyred in this time, John has a vision of them in victory. They have died in the flesh, but they are alive in the Lord. To live is Christ, to die is gain, Paul says. But ultimately, this is the victory that he enables all of us to stand in. He gives us victory over Satan. He gives us victory over his deceptions. He gives us victory over all the blasphemous names that Satan tries to place upon us and cause you to identify yourself with other than the name of Jesus Christ. Here is your victory, saint. And what are they given? They're standing before it. Think about this. Imagine the drama of standing before your creator right now. If God were to peel back this physical world so that we could see the spiritual reality, we would all be on the ground as though dead. When John earlier had a vision of Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet as though he was dead and he had no power to stand until Jesus laid his hand on him. This is the, what the victory of Jesus has provided for us in the freedom from death and from sin is to stand in the presence of your creator rejoicing with song. Look at this. They're with this instrument 
No, it's not the harp of man. It says it's the harp of God. God likes music. They sing the song of Moses. We don't have time this morning, but if you're, I would encourage you to go read Exodus 15 and Deuteronomy 32. Both of them are identified as songs of Moses. Exodus 15 is the song uh, that they sing right after God has delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He has delivered them through a specific baptism through the Red Sea on dry ground. The Red Sea has come upon the enemies of the nation of Israel and listened to their song of deliverance, the song of Moses in Exodus 15. As Moses is getting ready to die and he is on the border of the nation of Israel, there's a final song of his life that he sings. And the lyrics are heavy because the lyrics revolve around judgment. Not only is it called the song of Moses, the servant of God, it's the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. We'll press into some of those ideas next week. Worship team, come on up. As the worship team comes up, and for your notes, and if you still have your Bibles open, in verse 3, God's works and God's ways are always victorious. His work in your life is always victorious in the name of Jesus Christ, regardless of how you feel about his actions in, his, in your life. Again, God's works, they are great and they are marvelous. And what is being praised is God's actions in their lives as they are standing before God, worshiping him in spirit, in truth, in reality, even though they had their heads removed from their bodies for faith in Jesus Christ. God's actions are always victorious in your life in the name of Jesus. Amen. And whatever his ways are, Whatever path he is leading you in and through as you follow Jesus, it is right and it is true. Don't ever, don't, well, again, this is something that we all have to fight against. We all fight against our voice, the voice of the enemy, the voice of the world saying God is wrong what is going on in your life is not good. This is not right. It needs to change. This, this position of submission and obedience to God's will is submission to his way, his path for you. The path of my life looks nothing like the way that I've imagined it as I have followed Jesus. It has come with lots of twists and turns that I did not see coming. I have on my monitor of my work computer, it is a valley of mountains that is filled with fog, and out of it there is a road that begins this steep switchback up this steep mountain climb. And it's an image for me where God has said to me specifically, Blake, the work that I am doing in your life, my actions in your life right now, and the path that I am leading you down, 
is so that when you begin that uphill climb, you're going to have the tenacity to not turn back. You're going to have the tenacity to trust in my victory. There are many times where I've, I, I have wanted to turn away from the will of God in my life. Can you all be in agreement to that? God, I don't want this. I don't like this. I don't want to do this. And there are times that I have turned away. But that image for me, it's a daily reminder. So many times I feel like I'm in the fog. So many times I feel like this is just an impossible uphill climb. So many times I'm, I'm heading on the uphill climb and all, all of a sudden I find myself at a switchback and I just made a 180 degree turn. Not knowing that the turn was coming. But if I keep going straight, I'm off the cliff. But again, on all that, it provides for me this imagery. Blake, keep following me. Keep trusting in me. Keep believing that I am good, that I am kind, that I am gracious, that I am compassionate, that I am merciful, that I am patient, that I am holy, that I am righteous, that I am true. God, we believe. Help me in my unbelief. Lead me in your victory. You give us this imagery, Lord, as, as you, through your victory of your death and your burial and your resurrection and your ascension, that as, as your followers, Lord, you're leading us in this, this parade of victory. That wherever you go as we follow you, you are declaring to the world that you and you alone are the emperor. You're the king. You are the creator of the heavens and the earth. You are majestic. You are wonderful and amazing and astonishing. Wherever you lead us, Lord, you are diffusing your fragrance. I can't imagine what you see, but Lord, to us, it's, it's miserable when your fragrance smells like death to a human being and the neck, neck stays stiff and the heart stays hard. But Lord, it is so wonderful and praiseworthy and floods us with joy. Whenever we and whenever we see another turn to you, and faith, and obedience, and hope, and love, and adoration. So we turn to you now, all of us, Lord. Every soul in this place. We turn away from this world. We turn away from our will. And we look to you, and we ask you in humility that you would reveal yourself to us today. Let us see you, let us know you, let us understand you. Let us grow in you. Let Jesus be formed in us today. Let us know what it is that your victory has provided. And let us have the faith, Lord, the trust that regardless of life's circumstance today, it is your path of victory in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen.